0: Do you do when life is beyond understanding? Raise your hand if you've ever had anything happen in your life that you didn't understand. Of course you have. That's just about everybody. Should be everybody. The problem with life is this, as, as one person has said, life is lived forward, but it's understood backward. Uh, so things are constantly happening in our world and in our lives that we don't entirely understand. And Lots of things are happening in our world today that we don't really understand. You may have heard or you may not have heard yet that this weekend um, our dear brother and friend Bishop Ford uh, from Christ Temple passed away. He went on to be with the Lord and I'm excited for him because he doesn't have COVID-19 anymore. Um, But it's a tough shot to take. We had been building stuff in the city together and in our friendship and our church and Christ Temple had done joint services and had planned big things in the future together so what do you do when something like that happens that's it's beyond your understanding? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel is, or if you have your smartphone, just open that to the book of Daniel. Um, Uh, The book of Daniel is is written to the people of God when they're in a hostile world. In fact, they're in exile. They've been taken out of their land, and, and they've been put somewhere that's very hostile to their faith, that's hostile to what they believe. And we currently live in a world that is actually becoming increasingly more hostile to God and to the things of God. And the book of Daniel answers the question, what does it mean to be the people of God in exile? And the book of Daniel is is fascinating. It's inspiring. It's bewildering, too. I mean, it's divided into two parts. You've got the first six chapters of the book of Daniel uh, are are really made up of stories that we all learned in Sunday school, right? So Daniel thrown into the lion's den. We got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. You know, there's uh, Daniel eating just vegetables and drinking water, and he's seen as ten times better than the competition. We know all of those stories very well. And the point of those stories uh, is that God is sovereign, and he will intervene on behalf of his children to save them. God is at war with evil and he's going to win. Make no mistake about it. He's going to overrule. He's going to bring justice. And sometimes he does it immediately. That's the first half. But, but then you get to the second half of the book of, of Daniel, chapter 7 to 12, and there's this dramatic shift both in the story and in the style. It, it, too, speaks of God's deliverance for the people of God in exile. But in the second half of the book, the, fu- the focus is on future deliverance and hope for the future rather than immediate intervention by God. So beginning in chapter 7, we have all these weird apocalyptic visions about beasts coming out of the sea and they look like lions and leopards and bears oh my my. okay (laughs) and finally there's a beast that's so hideous Daniel says verse 7 it was terrifying and frightening and then that vision is followed by another vision bizarre in chapter 8 of a ram and a goat and you just begin to wonder if Daniel started watching Alfred Hitchcock movies or reading Stephen you know Stephen King novels or maybe got some bad Babylonian takeout because this is not chapters 1-6 to And it's not just beyond our understanding. It was baffling and disturbing to Daniel. It was beyond his understanding. Daniel chapter 8 verse 27 is where we'll pick up the action. I, Daniel, was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Sometimes when life is beyond your understanding, that that, that stress can even make you ill. It can exhaust you. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision it was beyond understanding. So beat Daniel for a minute. You, you've seen God deliver in chapters 1 to 6. You know he can do those kind of things. You know he does do those kind of things. And then you have these visions and these dreams from God in which he's speaking of a great future deliverance. But, but what you're hearing from God is confusing because what you hear in the spirit and what you see in the physical don't match. Right? God's talking about deliverance, but Israel's still in exile. Have you ever had that happen to you? What what, what you're seeing in the scripture, or maybe you're even hearing God speak to you, doesn't really match what you see in your life at this moment? What do you do with that? What, What do you do when life is beyond understanding? Well, in the very next chapter, Daniel gives us an answer to that. And I would just summarize it in these three words. Remain, respond, and remember. These are the three key words For this message, what you do when life is beyond your understanding, remain, respond, and remember. Let's look at the text, verse 1 of chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay, stop right there. First thing you do when life is beyond your understanding, when you're going through something, you don't get it, you don't understand it, first thing you do is this, remain tethered to the Scriptures. So, so, so here's Daniel, he's totally baffled, it's beyond understanding, and then all of a sudden, boom, shakalaka, he gets understanding of God's plan. When? When did he get understanding? When did he gain the understanding? When he was studying the scriptures. Specifically the book of Jeremiah. See, often when when life is beyond our understanding, our tendency is a knee-jerk reaction to pull away from the discipline of being in God's word. But the worst thing you can do is pull away from the very thing that can give you understanding. Remain tethered to the scriptures. A number of years ago, this was way back, when the kids were a lot smaller. We went to uh, the beach one year, North Myrtle Beach, and we were at the beach. And you you know, the desire for a kid to be at the beach is proportional to how far away they live from the beach. Right. So we, we were driving the whole long way there. Are we there yet? Are we there? You know, and everybody, as soon as we wanted to get there, as soon as we got there, we wanted to run out to the beach and nobody was out on the beach. And we didn't know why. You know, the waves are kind of big, but we were like, there's this flag flying. We didn't know what that meant. Um, and so, you know, we, we just go we're out, dark through the water and, you know, we jump in the water and uh, the, the, the pole is pretty tight. It's pretty big. And, and one of the boys, the, the youngest, the, the lightest of the, of the four had a, a little boogie board. We had those little boogie boards that has a tether. And he had it strapped around his wrist, and, and he was out there, and as we were trying to walk back in, the, the I not I guess it wasn't a rib tie, but it was some kind of tie was pulling him out. And I grabbed onto the boogie board. He was tethered to it, and I could actually pull him in, and then I read somewhere that you're not supposed to go straight into the beach. You're supposed to go at an angle. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm from Kentucky. What do I know about the beach? But I read it somewhere, so we did that, and we got back in, and we thought, maybe that flag means we're not supposed to be out here, and that's why nobody else is out here. So we went to the pool. But here's the point. When the current is stronger than you, you need to be tethered to somebody bigger and stronger than you. Right? He was tethered to me and we could make it in together. You need to be tethered to God's word, to the scripture. Jesus used the same analogy when he said we should be tethered to him in John 15 verse 5. He said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. See what Jesus is saying there, there's life in me. So what? Stay connected to me. Remain in me. Stay tethered to me. And one of the ways you stay tethered to Jesus is let his words remain in you. You remain tethered to the scriptures because there's life there. And so when your life is beyond understanding, if you remain tethered to the scriptures, you remain tethered to that which is God-breathed. And remember, whatever God breathes on comes alive. Remember in the book of Genesis, he makes Adam and he's a lump of clay, and that's all he is, it's just dust until he breathes on him the breath of life, and then he comes alive, a living soul. So stay next to the Scripture. They are God-breathed. Go back to the Daniel story now. This is interesting, and and maybe it's just interesting. I think you'll find this interesting too. If you read it too quickly, you you, you won't pick this up. That's why you've got to read slowly, and sometimes you've got to switch translations to force you to read slowly. But after he has this time in the Scripture, which brought him to this understanding, for the very first time in the whole book of Daniel, we're in chapter 9 now, For the very first time in the whole book of Daniel, Daniel uses the covenant name for God, which is YHWH, okay, we we tend to say Yahweh now, but we don't really know how it was pronounced because ancient Jews didn't pronounce the covenant name of God, and so, you know, the the idea is you take the vowels from Adonai or Elohim and you put it back into YHWH, and if you're a 16th century German guy like Martin Luther, it comes out Jehovah. We don't know how they pronounced it. We were pretty sure it wasn't Jehovah because ancient Near Eastern Jews weren't 16th century German guys. Okay? But the way you know this, when you're reading along, is in most English translations, if if the word Lord is capital L and then O-R-D is also capitalized but just a little smaller, that means it's the covenant name of God. Yahweh. Okay? Jesus tapped into this whole idea of a covenant and when he uh, uh, instituted communion. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And, and so the covenant name for God gets used in the Old Testament whenever salvation is being talked about, whenever God is revealing the plan of salvation to redeem us, that is the covenant name of God. And so here's what happened for Daniel. He remained tethered to the scriptures, and in the scriptures he's reminded that he's in covenant with who? A covenant-keeping God. He's reminded, it reminds him of the covenant, and that changes everything. Now, let me, let me just kind of explain how this might work just on a very practical level with you. Let's say, let's say uh, you wake up, let's say, uh, I, I don't know, maybe let's say the person you voted for doesn't become president on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever we find out who our next president is, okay? Uh, and, and you wake up in the morning, and you're feeling kind of far from God because of that, right? Or maybe you did it this morning. Maybe you woke up this morning, and you're feeling kind of far away from God, and, and, and you're just feeling that way. Now, so you have that feeling. Now, that is a, it's true that you have the feeling. Okay? Now, and, and, and you know, I don't want to be the, the feeling police. You know, like some churches are, don't feel that way. How dare you feel that way? I'm not doing that. Okay? You feel that way, you feel that way. Okay. And it's true that you feel that way. But ask yourself the question, is that feeling based on truth? Because just because I feel something doesn't necessarily make it true. So think about that. If, if I'm feeling far away from God, if I woke up this morning and I'm feeling far away from is that even possible? Is he far away from you? Have I, have, if I woke up this morning feeling far away from you, have I miraculously discovered the one place in the universe God is not? No. So so what do I do? So i got a choice at that point to believe what I feel or to believe what Scripture says. So I can go to the Scriptures that say, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. So when when is he present? Yeah, so there's never a place or a time where he's not there, right? Uh, Jesus said, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always to the very end of the age. When is Jesus with us? Always, God said in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God has said this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When is he going to leave us? Never. When's he going to forsake us? Never. Okay, so I might feel, I may have woken up this morning and I, and I felt far from God, but if I'm remaining tethered to the scripture, I'm going to ask myself, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe me or God? Am I going to believe my feelings or God's word? And so what I have then is a choice just to begin to raise my hand and say, God, I thank you that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble. You, you, Jesus said I'm with you always. God, you said you would never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And I start saying what he says is true. I don't go by my feelings because Jesus is Lord, not my feelings. Jesus is, have you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever, when somebody was bossing you around, did you ever say, you ain't the boss of me? How many of you ever said that when you were a kid? Raise your hand if you ever said that when you were a kid. How many of you ever said that to your spouse since you were an adult? No, don't, don't, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin's like, you ain't the boss of me. Okay. You know, when you just start saying what God's word say, you know what you're saying? You know what, feelings? You ain't the boss of me. Amen. Jesus is Lord. He's the boss of me, so I'm going to say what he says. Right. And I, at what point do we actually believe God over what we feel? I mean, this, this happened to me even yesterday. Yesterday, we, was things going on. We had a delightful morning, had a plan for a delightful afternoon, and, and, and there were some things going on. I, I was texting with a, a friend who lost his dad, and we were texting back and forth, um, and then I also tried to make uh, reservations for airline tickets with a certain airline which will remain nameless, and, and we were on the phone for three and a half hours. They canceled our tickets twice. All we wanted to do was buy tickets. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I didn't want to cuss nobody out. I just wanted to buy tickets. That's all we wanted to do. And so I'm experiencing this and it's beginning to take away my joy. Well, you know what my verse was uh, to, for my daily quiet time? That day it was 1 Peter 1 that says, You are filled with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Because you're receiving the salvation, the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. That's 1 Peter 1, verse 8, right? That was my verse for the day. And all of a sudden, I'm not feeling full of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I'm feeling a lot of things, but it ain't that. I don't have so much joy. I can't even put it into words. I had some words. But you know what? Then I had this choice to make. Okay, okay. That's how I feel in this moment. Yes, that is true. That's how I feel. But will I choose that or will I choose to believe that this text says I fit because I'm getting the salvation of my soul, the goal of my faith, the salvation of my soul is happening so I can be full of joy, not just any joy, but it's unspeakable and full of glory. You can just talk to yourself. See, a lot of times in life, here's what we do. We think if we're not feeling good, we're not doing good. Really, as Christians, it should be if we're not believing good, we're not doing good. Because we can choose to stay tethered to the Scripture. So, so, so Daniel finds himself in this place that's beyond understanding. He remains tethered to the Scripture, and it reminds him of the covenant. For us, like in that text in 1 Peter 1, it's the new covenant. It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus is Lord. And that leads him to the second thing, which is much quicker. It's this, respond with prayer. So number one, we're going to remain tethered to the Scripture. Number two, we're going to respond with prayer. Look at verse 3 of Daniel 9. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all those who love him and obey his commands. So right there, he's remembering the covenant. He's praying the covenant, right? He begins with who God is, right? Not who he is. He's not begin- Daniel's not beginning with who he is. He's beginning with who God is. He doesn't even start with the problem or how he feels about the problem. He starts with God. And then he gets to the problem. And here's what he says, verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So here he is. He's praying, and it's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of identification. And, and, and here is where Daniel is a great example of pointing to Jesus because he's actually a type of Christ here. And you say, how is that? Because he's identifying with the sin of his people even though he didn't actually do it himself. Did you notice he said, we have done this, we have done this, we, even though he didn't actually do any of that stuff. I mean, he had paid dreadfully for the exile. I mean, he had been ripped from his home. He, his home had been destroyed. He'd been taken to Babylon. He was a young man. He didn't lead, do anything that led up to this. They tried to change his name. They tried to change his diet. They tried to reeducate him. Historically, you know, when Babylon took people like Daniel, they made them a eunuch. And I'm not even going to go there to explain that. But that's my point is, he paid a big price. For the sin of his people. But now he's interceding with them by being with them. He's not saying they sinned. He's saying we sinned. And similarly, when when, when God wanted to free us from captivity to sin and bring us back from exile, Jesus became one of us. Jesus who was perfect. Jesus who knew no sin. Jesus who was blameless and righteous beyond any measure. He set aside his equality with God. He emptied himself and he took our sin upon himself. As if he had sinned. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took it upon himself. Isaiah 53, verse 6, the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus took our sin upon himself and he made salvation possible. This is why we can come to him. And here in the story, Daniel accepts the responsibility of the sin of his people, and he intercedes for them. What is he doing? He's being Christ-like. He's he's being an example of what Jesus did for us, and he's being an example for us. Listen, there are all kinds of things happening in our world and in our nation that we don't understand. But it is not beneficial to curse the situation. Listen, if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but to save it, how can we condemn the world? If he didn't condemn it, how can we condemn it? It doesn't bless you or anybody else just to complain about how bad things are. What should we do? Go to the Lord in humble, repentant prayer and say, we have sinned. So when things in our nation are beyond understanding, what do we do? We pray. In humility, we pray. In repentance, we pray. God, we have sinned. Forgive us. And don't don't just... Don't just say, Lord, they have sinned. It's the Democrats, God. They sinned. It's the Republicans. Lord, it's Donald Trump. You know, it's Governor Bashir. It's, it's Mayor Abramson. Avers- no. hey. Flashback. How long has he been? He hasn't been mayor in a long time. What's the mayor's name? Fisher, thank you. Thank you. I forgot. Mayor Fisher, if you're watching this, apologize. I do pray for you regularly. Uh, never mind Um, here's my point here's my point don't go in prayer and just blame it on everybody else say Lord we Lord we have sinned forgive us for the sin of abortion forgive us for the sin of racism forgive us for the sin of, of, of of how we treated Native Americans in the beginning forgive us and since then forgive us for oppressing the poor. Forgive and you say, I didn't do any of those things. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is we come and we intercede on behalf of our nation and say, Lord, we have sinned and we confess. Look at verse 17. Look how he ends his prayer. He says, Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act for your sake, oh, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Did you notice this? He's not praying for this so that he'll have a more comfortable life. he's not saying we deserve it. In fact, he's saying we don't deserve it. We're not coming because we're righteous. We're coming because you're merciful. And it's for your name. It's because of who God is. And notice what happens. And this happens in our life too. Repentance puts us in a place to hear God. This is what happens for Daniel. This is what often happens for us. When we come in repentance, it puts us in a place to hear what God is saying. Look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And look at verse 22. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding just a few minutes ago life was beyond understanding and 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 now he's remained tethered to the scriptures he's responded with prayer and he gets an angelic visitation that brings understanding and here's what he says verse 23 as soon as you began to pray an answer was given you know what sometimes as soon as you begin to pray and an answer is actually sent in that moment you just don't know it yet And here's where some of us become deceived. We quit praying because we didn't see the answer soon enough. He said, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. And then the rest of Daniel 9 goes on. Gabriel begins to explain this prophecy. And in this prophecy, there's 70 weeks or seventy sevens, okay, which is 490 years. And he says, you know, you break those into three groups. There's seven sevens, which is 49 years, 62 sevens, which is 434 years, and then a final seven. And here's what the prophecy meant. The first was the seven times seven was the 49 years was when they were going to be brought back to Jerusalem, and that happened. The second, the 434 years after the 49, was the coming of the anointed one, he says, who will be cut off, which was precisely the time that Jesus came and died for our sins. This is why there was such a messianic fever in in Palestine at the time when Jesus was there. You know why? They could read. They could do math. They knew Daniel chapter 9, the Messiah was coming any day now. That's why there was this fever of such. And then the third or the final week is, is hotly debated, and some think it's seven years at the end of time, uh, years of tribulation at the end time. Some think verse 27 has already happened. Other people think it's referring to the Antichrist. And, and people get into this big debate about these last seven years, but they totally miss the point. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? You heard that saying? It, it just means you get so caught up in the minutiae you can't see the big picture. Right, well, sometimes people are debating what this last seven means, and they miss the point, and the point is God knows the future, and he has a plan. That's the big idea. So when life is beyond understanding, number one, remain tethered to the scriptures, number two, respond with prayer, and number three, remember, God has a plan. I mean, the whole point of this prophecy was to show that God knew in advance what was going to happen. He prophesied the return to Jerusalem before it happened. He prophesied the precise time of the coming of Messiah Jesus before it happened. Now, we don't typically do this, right? In fact, one of my favorite characters uh, from history, Sir Winston Churchill, speaking at a press conference in Cairo on February 1st, 1943, said... The following and I quote I always avoid prophesying beforehand because it is a much better policy to prophesy after the event has already taken place <laughs> well of course it's much safer to prophesy after it's already because it's not prophecy anymore it's history at that point right and that's what we often do we prophesy after fact. but this prophecy was way before it happened to show us what God knows the future He has a plan. You don't have to worry. See, when when you see things that are beyond your understanding, just know this. It's not beyond God's understanding. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It's not. There's evil in the world, okay? Not everything that happens is God's will. That's why Jesus told us to pray that God's will would come and his, his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it was already happening perfectly on earth, we really don't need to pray for it. So that's not what he's saying. He's not saying everything is good. He's saying God is bigger than whatever it is you don't understand. He's bigger than that. I mean, Daniel was reading the prophet Jeremiah when he realized that God had decreed 70 years for Israel to be in captivity. And where does Jeremiah prophesy that? Chapter 29. And do you remember what Jeremiah 29 says? Verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Look at verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Three times, one verse, he said, I got plans. When you see things you don't understand, remember, God has a plan, and it's a good plan. It's for hope. It's for a future, and no one can stop God. Now, why am I saying all this? Why why bring this message today? Because I believe that there's going to be some challenging days ahead for us in our nation. I believe there's going to be some challenging days ahead, some big things, things we don't understand. And as your pastor, I want you to try to prepare you for that. i want to prepare you for this. And when big things happen and you don't understand it, don't be afraid. If it starts this week, don't be afraid. Do not panic. You say, well, what are we going to do? I got a plan. I got a plan. And the plan is this. We're going to stay tethered to Scripture. We're going to respond in prayer. And we're going to remember God has a plan. That's our plan. And his plan is a good plan, and Jesus is on the throne no matter who's in the White House. Now, I know there are a lot of YouTube prophets out there who are prophesying a whole bunch of stuff right now. Okay? I know this not because I look for them, but because you guys sent them to me. Okay, all right. so I've watched some of that, and I want to just keep in front of us one truth. Every single person who's ever prophesied the end of the world or the return of Jesus has been wrong so far. We're operating at a 100% failure rate here. Can you imagine going to a doctor? Hey, doc, how many of your uh, you know, diagnoses have been wrong? 100%. See you later. Right? Right? I, I mean, there's, there's a number of them. I'll just go through a few of them. You remember uh, December 21st, 2012 was supposed to be the end of the world? Do you remember this? Because the Mayan calendar only went to 12, 21, 12. And so at 11, do you remember this? At 11, 11 p.m. universal time, our sun was lined up with the center of the Milky Way. And so it was supposed to be the end of the world. Do you remember that? Do you remember what happened on the next day? No, you don't because nothing happened. The world didn't end. You remember Y2K? Remember that? Remember how the world was? you were supposed to fill up your tub with water because we weren't going to have any water on January 1st? Remember what happened on January 1st, 2000? No, you don't because nothing happened. Right? 1988, 1988 there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 1988. It was wrong so there was a sequel, 89 Reasons Why He's Coming Back in 89. Am I making this stuff up? This is true. Those are just the ones in my lifetime. Before my lifetime, between 1938 and the mid-40s, there were a lot of people preaching that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. And just so we're clear, that seemed like a pretty safe bet. I mean, I, I'm guessing I'm, I may have preached the same thing if I was preaching in 1941. I wasn't alive yet. My dad wasn't even alive yet. Was just, so anyway... But my point is, it wasn't. William Miller uh, was a farmer in Hampton, New York. He got thousands of followers around him. He said that Jesus was going to return March 21st, 1843. And then he said, well, maybe it was March 21st, 1844. Well, maybe it was 45, 46. Then he went to 1849, gave himself a buffer there. And then it was 1851. And when he didn't come back in 1851, you know what? They came out with a doctrine that said, actually, he came back in 1844. He just didn't make it all the way back. Yeah, what? That's exactly, I'm like, so Jesus got lost is what you're saying. I, he couldn't find us. I don't, I don't even know how to make heads or tails. But this, this has been going on a long time. 1656, there was a group of prophecy experts called the Fifth Monarchists who said Jesus was going to come back in 1656. He was going to end Cromwellian rule by setting up his throne in Westminster Abbey. Can you imagine Jesus as a British dude? Good show. It's just, I just can't, I can't see it, you know. Just so you know, he didn't do that. And then, you know, one more in the year 1191, there was a Bible scholar named Joachim of Fiore who told Richard the Lionhearted that the Antichrist had already been born and was alive. This was during the era of the Crusades. So, if 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 he was right, the Antichrist is one old dude right now. Right? Here's my point. Why am I saying all that? Don't be afraid when people set dates for the end of the world. Don't be impressed when people set dates for the return of Jesus. We don't know all of that. It's beyond our understanding. Here's what we do know. We know the one who knows it all. And here's good news. Beyond just knowing him, we're in a covenant with him. We're in covenant with a covenant-keeping God who has a plan, and it's a good plan. It's a plan for a hope. It's a plan for a future. And he's on the throne, and his kingdom rules over all. We know that. And so, if this week... Or next week, or next month, or next year, some big things happen, and you don't understand it, I want you to remember what I'm saying today. Because it's not me saying this, I mean it is me saying this, but it's not me, my stuff, this is Daniel 9. Here's our plan, we're going to remain tethered to the scriptures, we're going to respond with prayer, and we're going to remember God has a plan.